2: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. A step ahead in the race for a COVID vaccine, Moderna's CEO offers an update on safety and trial protocol.
3: We care deeply that this vaccine is trusted by the public clinicians and nurses around the country. So it is used. It would be, of course, a big waste if we work so hard and people don't trust the safety.
2: A blizzard in September, Wall Street's biggest software IPO ever from a still unprofitable company few had heard of until this week, seasoned tech watcher Doug Clinton.
1: I think you could see the necessity for software solutions like Snowflake increased by 10x over the next 10 years.
2: And an investor who got in on the ground floor, Wing VC's Peter Wagner.
4: This is really one of the fundamental trends of our generation.
2: Those stories, plus a healthy clash of minds and crony capitalism.
5: They like to mess with me in the control room circuit. I don't want to get you started on this. If
6: you're trying to
2: bait me, you know my view. It's Thursday, September 17th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now.
6: Good morning, welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan, and they brought Kelly Evans in to take to uh, you know to make sure that we uh, we behave, Joe. Andrew, all the way into and, uh, the studio. All Back the way into the,
5: the studio. I, Andrew, you came, and You're in the
7: studio. I, we're both in the studio. She's in the studio. You're on delay.
6: Yeah, he's on delay. This is gonna be
5: fun, I'm, Kelly. Let's, I'm
6: in. I'm in the studio. This is this is my studio. It this is. is the way. And that's, this is and that's the fine.
5: You, of sta- you you don't want to come back to work like like uh, like us. That's fine. Just know oh, you have a delay. Just know that you have of a delay. Let's really before let's we have a milk. Chance. Yeah, let's milk this, Kelly. We can just go back and forth. We don't need to. I mean, we can finish each other's sentences. He's gonna be like. He's like five seconds behind. This is going to be awesome. Let's really, let's, let's Joe, really do is it. this the first
7: time you're back at the NASDAQ in a, a little while? No,
5: I, I, I go away and then I'm quarantined. So I went away once in July, came back, was quarantined. But then I finally got back here. Then I went away again and then came back and I've been quarantined for another uh, you gotta two you got to stop
7: going away. What are you doing?
5: I guess I wish these states would drop off the list. There's still, I think, uh, there's 57 states on the list. Um, <laughs> No, that was a different. Uh, there's a lot of states on this list. Let's get, let's get the, uh, you know, and, and, and not all states. Uh, I, I was in a county like where there's an island. I was like, no one was there. And because it's that state, so none of it makes any sense. Anyway, I'm glad to be back. And I hate the delay. And I'm looking at Times Square and it's, it's kind of cool. And I think there's a big, I thought about you, Sork, and There's a big Krispy Kreme thing somewhere down here. Yeah, the I know, a new one. The most ever.
1: Most lights
5: ever, and I was looking for it, and I was thinking about you. I gotta stop thinking about you when I'm not at work, because it—that's uh, it, 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 not what I want. That's not what I want in my life. You, uh, know, you
6: you may draw me back to Times Square, but so may Krispy Kreme. So we'll—we'll see. Uh, it's a good—that's a real inducement.
7: Is it still? Is, we were talking about this with Tyler for the last couple weeks. I haven't been in there in a while, and he was saying there is nobody around. He said he's—he was at Thirty Rock, you know, middle of the day. And it's just, there's no one on the streets. I mean, is, it, is that, is it, is that the case? People here.
5: Uh, there's, there's people here. There's people here. A few, I not guess. L- yeah. not l- it's not uh, like Times Square. I mean, when you say Times Square, it's supposed to be like, you know, New Year's Eve. Right. But, but compared to where it was, it's like everything. Are people flying on airplanes, Kelly? There are some people, but More compared to where were, it was, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely down 80%, 90% on, on the terms of the, the traffic we have out there. But we do have a beautiful American flag. Um, yes
1: all the time.
7: The president said the U.S. could start distributing a COVID vaccine as early as next month.
1: As soon as it uh, is announced, we'll be able to start. That'll be from mid-October on, Uh, maybe a little bit later than that, but uh, we'll be all set. So as soon as it's given the go-ahead, they're doing trials, as you know, and as soon as it's given the go-ahead, we will uh, get it out, defeat the
3: virus.
7: Now, that, of course, contradicts earlier remarks made yesterday by his CDC director. Uh, those remarks were made to the Senate. Dr. Dr. Robert Redfield said he expects vaccinations to begin in November or December, but in limited quantities.
1: I think we have to assume that um, uh, if we had a vaccine, say, released uh, today, that it's going to take us probably... In the order of nine months, uh, six to nine months to get the American public vaccinated.
5: Saw so a lot of that uh, news conference. It, it 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 is a little bit surreal. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't know. We'll see uh, what happens. And it is being politicized by both sides. One one side wants it before the election. The other side doesn't want it until after the election, which is sick enough. But the, the, watching the president explain, explain how these. You know, some of the people at the CDC and others explain that, uh, yeah, I think, I, I just don't think they understood the question. I, I think he was confused, or yeah. I think, you know, it's it's a hard case to sell. We're getting sort of inured to it, but um, I don't know when it's going to be. You know, uh, I think we're going to be talking about the vaccine more today and, you, and the prospects and, for it. And I'll,
7: I'm just curious, Jeff, I don't know if you guys have already talked about this, but your own feelings about getting it? I mean, are you pro? Are I would, you nervous? I'm, I'm
5: totally ready. I yeah. think I, I I'd be... i'd be first in line i'm i'm ready right now i'm i'm ready for my immune system you know if there's i know that there could be some uh potential side effects but i i think i can i can i'd certainly much rather have a little spike protein uh fragment than the virus itself i'd like to get you know i'd like my immune system i don't i haven't had an i had an antibody test uh, a month or two ago and um after someone in my family months ago th- didn't know she had it at oh, all wow. but 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 had antibodies to it so i thought i wonder if you know right that would be like winning the lottery right if if you took the test and you and you had, had it, it no and, and I,
7: symptoms yeah but uh, you know
5: i have fantasies that maybe you know when i had a little it didn't feel exactly right for a couple of days i'm hoping i was one of those asymptomatic people and, and but i have no reason to think i did uh, ever but um wouldn't you get that test before you got the vaccine? I think you'd do that too. point. you, you a good wouldn't get point. the vaccine, wouldn't you get it uh, an antigen test first? antibody test first? Yep. Wait, uh,
7: Andrew, what are your feelings on it?
6: Would you get it, Andrew? i um, I probably like to take take something. I want to see which one which one is approved first. I want to understand it. I think like so many other people. I think I just want to understand the dynamics of how it works, what the possible uh, ramifications may be. Right. I we're not right talk to the various uh doctors who we all uh, get the opportunity to talk to so this
5: is a guy who gets one of those iphone upgrades and oh no no oh no 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 no, 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 no. Uh, you like you you wait a couple of weeks for the iphone software upgrade don't you and yes before the i wait a come couple out, of weeks so. for the
6: upgrade on the software so i'll probably wait a couple right. of weeks on this th- there you go I'll, be, I'll, I'll proudly wear my mask between now and then so <laughs> yeah all right We're now
5: two weeks away from a key deadline for airlines and others. But think of this, the federal aid linked uh, prohibition on job cuts. So you're not allowed to do that. It expires after September 30th, though, meaning we could see mass layoffs on October 1st. Airlines and labor unions are renewing calls for lawmakers to approve another twenty five billion dollars in payroll support. They said airlines could furlough or lay off more than 30,000 people when the current term expires. And that uh, another round of relief could protect jobs through the end of March. And uh, they like to mess with me in the control room, sort of, and They gave me this airline read. I don't want to get you started on this. I mean, it'd be another $25 billion. It's possible some shareholders benefit of these airlines and aren't completely wiped out by the pandemic in trying to actually keep some right. of the jobs there. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I, we probably should go, Brad. I didn't want to get you off on one of those... Those are you, you trying go to? On I, about. You're
6: trying to bait me. You know. You know my view. If If you want to support crony capitalism, go with God. But I'm you, not going to do it. Every
5: person that you've asked about that says that the airlines are essential and this was not their fault and it was something. It doesn't. That it, it, it doesn't
6: matter whether the airlines are essential. But you'll never it be has able nothing to, raise money to do with being again. essential. If everybody. If everybody gets sacrificed, if the a private can never the, if raise if there's if there's a private market, let the private market do it, and the shareholder should billion. benefit. What about this if the, $25 If billion. the taxpayer is going to pay for it, if the taxpayer is going to pay for it, there should be some benefit to the tax, a genuine benefit to the taxpayer, and the shareholder on the other end shouldn't pay for it. But we're trying but the to, thing to say is that jobs if these unions If these union jobs? employees and these CEOs wanted to tell the truth, they would, and they actually <laughs> thought that they were really under that much pressure, they'd stand up and say, yes, Give me the money. We, we desperately need the money, and we're willing to give the shareholders something back, but they're I know not how you to th- do that. You, how come you said you know? And that's capitalism. You Everything you that you with
5: hate. You started this with, you know how, how I feel, so I'm not going to be baited into this. And then, did you see that, Kelly? Did you, did, I mean, I, I, take, let's get, I just I, people are actually messaging me saying, oh, my God, you just hook, line, and sinker. Couldn't wait to take that uh, bait. Maybe we'll talk more. I don't know. It's better when you argue with guests than when you argue with me. I it's
7: think. a good thing, Andrew. It's a good thing. You've got to stand up for what you believe in.
6: Yes,
5: I love he does. It.
7: Some, but you,
6: somebody's got quick, to.
5: But uh, it was, for some reason, you hate airlines. Even though you hate driving on long trips and you love you know, the front of the plane, you still seem love to airlines. hate airlines. Uh, uh, that's the only it's crony capitalism
6: you ever it, bring up. It's about See, fairness. It's, 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 about say, it's about fairness we're for the shareholder and fairness. It's about fairness for the shareholder and fairness for the taxpayer. But we're bailing fairness everyone for the taxpayer. out. Why I pick on it's the airline? It's your money, Joe. No, I know. It's your I'm okay money. With you're, it. you're subsidizing the shareholders. I just drove
5: 13 hours. You like I want subsidizing the, the shareholders? I drove down 13 You want hours to subsidize and back the shareholders? I, I I want. Yeah, because I want. It, eventually, I want other people to continue to own the airline stocks and fund the industry. And, and keep it viable, keep all the jobs, keep all the flight attendants, all the pilots, okay. keep all the, I Look, like the routes, I like the convenience. I didn't know
6: that you had become a socialist, but God bless you. I've been working we're with you for 11 break. years, uh, how could I return. not? He's
7: been listening.
5: Yeah, I've been with you for 11 years. You don't think, it, some some of my stuff's I rubbing mean, off on you. I this, mean, this, like oh, this. this whole,
6: this whole <laughs> corporate cronyism, socialism effort, I, I didn't know the roles were reversed.
2: Coming up on Squawk Pod, the ticking clock for a COVID vaccine. We'll hear from Moderna CEO Stefan Bonseu on the pressure.
3: The only piece for me that is important is the safety of the process and the integrity of drug development.
2: And when they'll have enough research data to know if they have a vaccine that works.
3: Our base plan is November. Mm. And that's what we have been saying for many months. Our best possible outcome will be October.
2: This is SquawkPod from CNBC. Moderna Therapeutics vaccine candidate with the really exciting name of MRNA1273 is nearing the finish line in its push to enroll 30,000 individuals in a late stage trial of a novel coronavirus vaccine. But the company may be able to grab an early win if it's able to show that people who got the vaccine in its trial fared better than those who didn't, who got the placebo. Moderna is just one of the three drug makers backed by the U.S. in late-stage testing for a vaccine. The other two are Pfizer and AstraZeneca. Meanwhile, infectious disease experts and scientists have said they have concerns that the White House may be pressuring the FDA to approve a vaccine before it has been adequately tested. Last week, nine companies, including Moderna, released a letter pledging that they would prioritize safety and uphold the integrity of the scientific process in their efforts to develop coronavirus vaccines. Here's Joe Kernan.
5: Moderna holding its uh, R&D day, the company announcing that 25,000... 296 participants have now enrolled in the phase three of its coronavirus vaccine trial. And that is near the number that's enrolled in the Pfizer trial. Uh, Meg Terrell joins us now with a special guest. And, and thank you for that, Meg. I, I, 29,000 wasn't gonna be enough. I needed that 296 just to, I mean, we, are you sure? What, what if it's maybe 297 now, right? I mean, if the, probably not, probably exactly right.
0: Somebody could have received a vaccine this morning. You never know, Joe. Yeah, uh, so that special guest joining us, of course, is Moderna's CEO, Stefan Bonsell. Stefan, thanks for being with us. You know, Joe pointed out that number. There's another really important number you put out this morning as well, which is the number of people in this trial who've received the second dose of the vaccine, more than 10,000. So judging by how quickly this trial has enrolled and how quickly people are getting that second shot, what does that tell you about when we might get to see the data?
3: Well, good morning, Megan, thank you for having us back. So, we're sticking to what we have said before, which is based on the current epidemiology, the rate of infection in the country at the location and counties where we have sites. We anticipate our base plan for efficacy for the first interim readout to be in November. That's our base plan. Uh, Our base plan is October. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. And if the infection rate in the country was to slow down in the next weeks, it could potentially be pushed out as a worst-case scenario, I would say, of December.
0: I see. And you've also published this morning, you announced in your press release, The Protocols for the clinical trial. Now, this is something that the scientific community has started to push for, and it's not something the drug industry typically shares in clinical trials. And in fact, other companies have declined to make this information public. Why did you decide to share uh, all of these uh, plans about the statistical analyses for the trial?
3: Because of transparency. You know, we believe this is unprecedented times. There's a lot of suffering from a public health standpoint, from an economic standpoint. And there's a lot of questions. As you know, usually, Only people like you and I, you know, care about clinical trial design uh, and stuff like that. But it's a very unusual time. And, you know, we as an industry have been working really hard for nine months now chasing this virus. And if the Moderna vaccine were to get a good safety without and a good efficacy without and be approved by the agency, we care deeply that this vaccine is trusted by the public, by clinicians and nurses around the country. So it is used. be of course a big waste if we work so hard to get the vaccine to work and people don't trust the safety number one and the efficacy of the vaccine and so we thought like you know we signed the pledge with the rest of the industry last week saying we'll adhere to the highest standard of ethics as we conduct that study Uh, and so we thought that sharing the protocol publicly which online right now will allow uh, anybody uh, to look at it and we can have uh, an understanding of all the governance and the safety that is in place to ensure the safety of the participants and the integrity of a scientific and medical process.
0: Yeah, and on that point of safety, of course, we saw AstraZeneca's trials halted last week after a safety issue in one participant in the UK. They since got the green light to restart the trials in the UK, not yet here in the United States, and they are not sharing information about what the diagnosis was or how they knew it was safe to resume. So I'm wondering your thoughts, First, have you seen any safety signals that might be similar to what we heard about that, uh, potentially a spinal cord issue we heard from the NIH director? Has that trial forced you or regulators to take any kind of closer look? And do you think that we need more transparency about the communications around that particular safety issue so people uh, feel more comfortable with it?
3: Yeah, so I think the first point is that it shows that the process is working the fact that the safety committee which is independent from astrazeneca decided to pause the study in all the sites around the world i think is a good news it shows and this is, happens regularly in vaccine clinical development that when something doesn't look right the safety committee acts quickly it's very difficult for me to to comment on communications or details because i'm not part of a company of course and I have no insight of any of the data. The only piece for me that is important is the safety of a process and the integrity of drug development. Uh, As to the question about the FDA, again, I'm not able to make any comment given I have not talked to the FDA about that topic, of course, only discussion with the FDA is of course around the Moderna trial. But what I know is that our safety committee, which is an independent committee, independent from the company that reviews on a very regular basis the data, I trust their judgment, those are clinicians, that are expert in clinical trial development for vaccines. And I'm sure that if they see anything that is worrying to them, they will put the trial on hold.
7: Mr. Bansell, could you just go back to some of your uh, earlier comments and clarify them? When you said your base plan is October, but then I think you said it was unlikely but possible. Could you explain that? And then also, why a slower infection rate in the country this fall would actually delay uh, the arrival of that vaccine until maybe December?
3: Yes, so let me clarify. Our base plan. Our most probable plan is November. Mm. And that's what we have been saying for many months. Our best possible outcome will be October. And the reason it depends on infection rate in the country is we are all running in the industry, as per FDA guidelines, efficacy trials. We're not looking at antibody levels in people's blood to decide if a vaccine works or may not work. It's looking at efficacy. So for efficacy, given it's 50 percent placebo, meaning half of the people get a placebo and half got the real vaccine. We are basically counting the cases of disease. This is how the trial is designed. And so uh, it's sad to say, but that's how clinical research goes. We need people getting disease from the virus to be able to scientifically, in a very rigorous process, calculate who, how many people get the disease with a vaccine, how many people get the disease on placebo to calculate the efficacy. And the FDA has said they want at least a 50% efficacy in the vaccines to consider the application for approval.
5: I had similar questions, Stefan, because you you have seen uh, in the past there there will be a a placebo and a a group getting a a medicine. And and sometimes the people getting the medicine show so much um, progress that it's it's no longer ethical to not allow the placebo uh, the same treatment. Is that possible that that could happen in this case or, or did the concerns you just outlined make it unlikely that you would know that that quickly. And I'm talking about, you know, when you're when you're offsetting safety against efficacy, I don't know if there's enough efficacy to override what you need to do with safety. Is it possible this could be ended early or not?
3: That's a great question. And it is technically possible. As you say, we do not know the efficacy of our vaccine. That is why we're doing a phase three study to know that. But indeed, if a vaccine were to have a very high efficacy, It is possible sometime in the process that the safety committee which sees all the data and all the cases will determine that it is not ethical to keep going uh, with people getting placebo. They might determine that it is not ethical maybe for the elderly and not for the younger adults. So it's a very complex, you know, answers to provide because it's so much depend on the scientific data, but it is a possibility that of course our safety committee is ready to recommend, if they deem in their medical judgment, it's the right thing to do for the participants.
0: Stefan, it's Meg again. You know, I need to ask you about an issue that people are focused on, uh, executive stock sales at Moderna. And I understand that in your most recent quarterly filing, you noted that to try to avoid any distraction as you're pursuing this mission for a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, you, everybody has agreed not to enter into new 10B51 trading plans, add new shares to these plans, or engage in additional unscheduled sales of Moderna stock in the open market. Tell us why you made that decision. And also, you know, as these criticisms mount, do people really make a differentiation between these scheduled sales and ones that were already part of these plans? I understand, you know, as recently as a few days ago, you and others on the uh, executive team have had these scheduled stock sales. So people keep seeing these mount up. Why not just stop them completely?
3: Yeah, so there's a lot of considerations to be taken in stopping the plan. As you know, this is highly regulated by the SEC. Uh, what we've decided to do with the team and the board in terms of not starting a new plan is because the phase three is ongoing. Even though we have access to no data, because again, the safety committee, which is independent for the company, has access to the data. I don't even know if we have had cases so far, Meg, and how many we have. I have seen nothing since we started dosing uh, subjects as it should be. But just to make sure that there is no suspicion of wrongdoing, uh, which again, will be impossible given I have access to no data, uh, we just thought it was a uh, better just to put that in place. And so that's what we communicated in our SEC filings.
0: All right, Stefan Bancel, we'll be staying tuned for base case November, best case October, and we'll be watching your R&D day today where I know you've been going through the entire pipeline. So thanks for being with us this morning.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Next on Squawk Pod, a blizzard on Wall Street. Cloud company Snowflake made history with the largest software IPO ever, an evaluation on par with Goldman Sachs. Venture capitalist Peter Wagner got in on the ground floor.
4: The enterprise is transforming and it's transforming at all layers. Snowflake is certainly a great example uh, of a company that benefits from that.
8: We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,
2: You're listening to Squawk
6: Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and uh, Kelly Evans in today with us. Uh, Becky is off today. You're going to talk about this
5: snowflake thing. God almighty. Uh, anyway, can either of you give me a 30 second synopsis of Hadoop and how this is better <laughs> oh gosh, than. Ha- ha- no, Did you, did no. you Andrew, did, did <laughs> no. you there I, on Google? There's a 10-hour, very quick <laughs> course on Hadoop. And I'm thinking about doing it. Maybe not. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, this was supposed... Hadoop
7: was I supposedly... I want to know Berkshire. Who at Berkshire took the course, Joe? That's what I want to on, know. On,
5: on Hadoop. This yeah. is not Hadoop. I think this somehow leapfrogs Hadoop's technology. <laughs> it, it's, you know... We're it, in it, the it's, stack. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's right, the biggest software IPO ever, the biggest IPO of the year, and the biggest first day jump for an IPO that raised more than a billion dollars in two decades. Snowflake made history in many ways yesterday. It's a data management cloud-based company And until this week, for many on Wall Street, Snowflake conjured only images of winter, or in Joe Kernan's case, millennials. It's safe to say that's no longer the case. Snowflake raised $3.4 billion by pricing shares more than 40% above the range it had initially been marketing. By the end of the day yesterday, Snowflake shares soared 112%, giving that company a $71 billion valuation. For comparison, Snowflake started the day the size of Constellation Brands and ended it with a valuation on par with Goldman Sachs. Early investors made billions, at least on paper. For early, long-time investors, that's as much as $11 billion. Later buy-ins, like Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, now sitting on a cool $1.6 billion, double the original investment. Berkshire's involvement in an IPO at all, let alone one in a cloud company that few had heard of, is significant. The last time Warren Buffett invested in a newly public company, the year, was 1956,
3: and the company was Ford.
2: Now, as striking as this debut was, Snowflake is still unprofitable. It's spending more in sales and marketing than it's making. But those who bought into it pre- and post-IPO don't seem to mind. After the listing, CEO Frank Slootman had one thing on his mind.
5: We are primarily focused on growth, but what we're not focused on is is what people refer to as growth uh, at all costs.
2: And his investors seem to trust him. The earliest ones were betting on the data biz long before anyone else believed this kind of cloud enterprise was worthwhile. It seems like the rest of the market has caught on by now. The Nasdaq's emerging cloud index, which consists of over 50 public companies, is up 55% this year. That's compared to only 25% gain for the Nasdaq and a 53 gain for the S&P. Let's get back to Kelly.
7: Let's talk a little bit more about this now with an analyst, Doug Clinton, managing partner at Loop Ventures. Doug, can you kind of start by telling people why Snowflake is such a valuable asset in general here?
1: I think over the last decade, we've heard so much about this trend toward big data. And the next evolution, in our opinion, of big data is really big data management, because the point of big data is to create intelligent software. It's to create incredible experiences for users. And it's really the precursor to AI. And what Snowflake does, I think why people are really excited about it thematically, is it is sort of that bridge, in in our opinion, from big data to more intelligent software they help companies essentially architect their data more intelligently in the cloud
7: So the, we were joking about hadoop a second ago but i mean who are the rivals in this space how much of a lead does snowflake have how much of a moat does it have to use the perkshire language
1: so i think really when i think about their competition some of their biggest competition are actually the companies they work with the cloud providers themselves aws uh, google microsoft with azure Uh, Those are the ones that I would be most focused on. Certainly, there's other ones in the market like Hadoop. uh, There's other companies that are sort of, I'd say, in the same game, in the same league, companies like Databricks, which is a a private company still. But I do think that if I were an investor in Snowflake, I would be focused more on those big cloud providers trying to expand their capabilities and sort of shutting Snowflake out of the market.
7: As we know, Amazon loves to go down the balance sheet and turn every cost center into a new revenue item. So Mm -hmm. Snowflake would appear to be a candidate for that. What's its valuation right now, Doug, at about $245 this morning, right about its IPO price. What are we talking about in terms of the multiple on revenue and and does it generate earnings?
1: It doesn't generate earnings yet. I think in in our rough estimate, it's somewhere around 70 times next year's revenue. That would make it, uh, even at the time of the IPO, I think it was one of the most expensive software companies in the market. And now I think it is far and far and away one of the most expensive companies in the software market.
6: Doug, I I
5: read a quote that someone uh, said that the pandemic accelerated this cloud adoption or the cloud migration by 10 years. And and I, I, you know, we're hearing everything. the pandemic, you know, stay at home. It's
1: accelerated everything. Is that true? And why do you agree with that? 10 years feels aggressive to me. Uh, I would believe it if it was maybe a year or two. I think we've certainly seen this acceleration in terms of productivity software, software to help people work at home. Much of that software is managed in the cloud. But when I think about the bigger opportunity in the cloud, it's moving everything, even things beyond this sort of work at home trend uh, in the cloud. So I think it's maybe more like a year or two it's been accelerated. Uh, That doesn't mean that the trend isn't real. I think it's still a real long-term trend. Cloud computing is is here to stay, but I don't think it's been accelerated that quickly.
7: Doug, when people talk to you about, okay, it's a 70 times revenue name, uh, but (laughs) to use an imperfect analogy, but the last IPO that Berkshire bought into was Ford in 1955, I think. I mean, does this have the kind of potential for the next several decades that a Ford would have had back then?
1: As crazy as it might sound, I think it does. When we think about this trend toward AI and the amount of data that will go into creating intelligent uh, software applications, I think you could see the the necessity for software solutions like Snowflake increase by 10x over the next 10 years. Fascinating.
7: Doug, thanks so much, sir. We appreciate it. Doug Clinton with Loop Ventures joining us this morning.
1: So,
5: guys, it, this, and I was just thinking about this. I think about Jeff Bezos. So when th- this was founded like seven, eight years ago or something, and, and it was founded on the notion, all right, we're going to compete with Amazon AWS. And, and they said nobody can, can compete with, with AWS. What the hell was – he sold He sold books. Online. Why were they and two, eight years ago already the leading behemoth in, in cloud and they, AWS? They, by that's accident, why that's I think they literally literally had a guy
7: in like South Africa who was like, "Do you mind if I use some of your extra server space for a while?" They go, "Yeah, no problem." And the next thing you know, they're like, "Hey, maybe we right. should do this for everybody."
5: That's why he's the richest guy in the world, Sorkin. Yeah. What have you thought? You know, you've thought of a few things, but uh, I had I wasn't thinking about the cloud in You know, maybe opening up my my uh, Commodore to store something. Let's get to someone that was the seed financier of this. Yeah, thanks. Uh, uh, It's uh, an early Snowflake investor. Just reading up on this, Peter. Peter Wagner is founding partner of Wing Ventures. Peter led uh, Wing's seed investment in Snowflake. The firm's participated in every round of financing since. So that was back in 2013. I I was reading through all this stuff. Uh, You're like my idol now, uh, Peter. I guess you're... You're eight years smarter or seven years smarter than, uh, than Berkshire Hathaway to be in here. And this is what you've, you've seeded 25 companies that have, that have come public. If I, if I, and you have a, a, a summa cum laude physics degree from Harvard. I guess that's how you figure this stuff out. That, and maybe you can explain Hadoop uh, uh, to all of us today and, and, and how people thought that was going to be the state of the art. And this was an Empire Strikes Back moment uh, for Snowflake.
4: Yeah, well, there were a number of contrarian ideas uh, around the early Snowflake, and you touched on one of them. Uh, You know, Snowflake was really uh, built around unleashing relational technology, which is what enterprise data and analytics had been built on really since the 1970s. And a lot of people thought that wouldn't be possible. Uh, Newer frameworks like Hadoop, which you just mentioned, uh, were all the rage. Uh, But the Snowflake founders felt that they could harness the power of the cloud in a way that wasn't obvious. Uh, to really uh, create a new generation of enterprise analytics. And I think history has shown them to be correct.
5: It was funny, because in your notes, it it reminded me of a joke like that economists tell you. You talk about a fun joke or a fun uh, interaction between the the Snowflake CEO back then and um, the co-founder of of Cloudera, which was a a Hadoop company. And and I, I don't get the joke. I guess that's why. But they had this big argument, and they were going back and forth. And people in the know thought it was really clever. But... Uh, it, it, it's very arcane to try to understand exactly what's happening, but the bottom line is you think companies like this grow into the valuation that is manifested early on, and, and that, that's the only way you can own them is to, to you know, bite the bullet, buy with a crazy 100-time revenue valuation, and then wait around for, for something good to happen, and it
4: does, in your view? Well, sometimes. Uh, it's easy to underestimate the long-term potential of the true platform companies in our industry. And that really is the the opportunity that's so exciting about Snowflake is uh, it is our industry's first true data cloud, uh, which is an enormously powerful concept. Uh, the modern enterprise is built on data. It's powered by AI and the data cloud and the cloud data platform. Uh, are the most strategic layers uh, within the enterprise technology stack that's enabling this transformation of business. Uh, that's the potential. Uh, and you know now that it's become visible, there's a lot of people that uh, wanna be part of that. I mean, there is another way to own these, which is uh, to work with the founders when they're just starting the company. And that's obviously how we got involved.
5: One thing I quoted you on earlier was that the pandemic uh, has accelerated um, a move to the cloud by five to 10 years. And, and someone earlier said maybe one or two years, but make your case for, for wh- why, that, why you believe that to be true, five to 10 years. Sure,
4: yeah, well, you know, the enterprise is transforming and it's transforming at all layers. Um, the technology that it runs on, uh, the types of applications that it uses, uh, the way that its people uh, work together. Uh, and the pandemic accelerated some trends like remote work, which we're dealing with right now during this broadcast. Uh, But uh, it accelerated a lot of uh, fundamental trends, too, surrounding the cloud and has really uh, pushed enterprises towards cloud adoption. Uh, And Snowflake is certainly a great example uh, of a company that benefits from that. But, you know, this was going on anyway. Uh, This is really one of the fundamental trends of our generation. Uh, I think it's a five- to ten-year pull forward just because uh, there really, uh, I think, was already emerging consensus within uh, enterprise IT as well as new companies being born in the cloud that this was the only way to go. Uh, the pandemic uh, really created a burn-the-boats moment <laughs> that, that forced that shift to happen
5: so you're going to stick with this enterprise stuff, I guess. But I was going to tell you ask yes, if you can call me next time you you think something's really going to be big. You know what I'm saying, like plastics or something uh, from the But it's it's still going to be enterprise stuff, right? That, you're going to stick with this.
4: At Wing, uh, we're all about the enterprise, and, right. and this whole development of the modern enterprise is what the firm was was really founded to help founders yeah, enable. Yeah. Right. So that's oh. what we do.
5: <laughs> well, we'll we'll have you back. Um, Interesting. I, I, I'd like to know a lot more, but uh, I, I, I said earlier I saw a, a Google video on how to understand Hadoop, and it was only ten hours the course. And supposedly, I'd be really good at it by then. Should I do that? Should I? Or will I want my ten hours back? Or what do you what do you think?
4: Uh, I think the world has moved on from okay. uh, from from Hadoop. Oh, <laughs> There's boy. other. Other oh, things I'd, to study that I would suggest I don't for want you. to
5: hear from Claudia. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very Not much. Not even
7: the cutting edge, Joey. <laughs> he I, I know. 10 hours I'm, so finally it it. I'm finally figuring it out.
5: I'm finally figuring it out, and the world has moved on. You know, that's a story of my life. Yeah, uh, mine Kelly. too.
2: That's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan. Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Kelly Evans for sitting in today. You can tune in to our TV show weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. Listen whenever you want, whenever it works for you. That's what's so great about podcasts. Tell a friend to subscribe and tweet us at Squawk CNBC anytime. We'll meet you back
8: here tomorrow.